Good morning, church. Thanks, Austin. Did you bring the bread? <laughs> Just kidding, right? That's the question. Well, my name is Rowan, one of the pastors here. Exciting morning as we gather in this next section of Mark's gospel, finding out more of who Jesus is and why he's come. Why don't we pray together as we ask God to help us understand this part of God's word? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word that Jesus has come and spoken and that we can gather today in person around your word as we've heard you speak. We ask that by your spirit, you'd help us to understand what you want us to see through Mark's account of a life of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, early in the 15th century, a man named Galileo Galilei provided clear evidence that the earth was not the center of the universe. The problem was people didn't believe him. In fact, people were like, no, that's wrong. The sun revolves around the earth, not the other way around. They'd seen the evidence of his work, uh, but they they hadn't seen it themselves, and and they weren't convinced. They were so self-centered in it. They could not get outside the idea that humanity was at the center of the universe. In 1663, Galileo was put before an inquisition. He was tried and charged of heresy for what he said, that, that the earth orbited the sun, not the sun, the earth for simply putting forward an idea that was contrary to the popular view of the time, a view which we now know to be true. Despite what people saw, despite the clear observations that supported it, people refused to accept a view that challenged their own. Now, the account that Mana just read for us, where 4,000 people were fed with just seven loaves of bread and a few sardines, is an account that really people refused to believe. People saw some evidence, but they weren't happy enough about it. But that's not the only account we have in the Bible of these miraculous events Jesus did. Uh, We see throughout the accounts of Jesus' life, him heal the sick, cast out demons, give sight to the blind, uh, still the wind and the waves, walk on water, raise the dead, give the deaf hearing and seeing the mute speak. There's so much evidence to support that these realities went on. Evidence from the Gospels, from Christian accounts, from other Christian sources, even from secular sources that report Jesus was a miracle worker and people worshipped him as God. But the problem is, today you and I are not too dissimilar from those that were around in the time of Galileo. We refuse to believe what we hear and see. We want more evidence. We want more than what we have before us. We demand signs. We want more signs. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, look, if only God would reach out and, and do something amazing in my life, then I'd believe him. We want more. It's not enough. So often I hear the claim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Ever heard anyone say that? If there's an extraordinary claim, then we need to have way more evidence than normal because it's, it's extraordinary. That if you have a claim that, say, your life depends on, it requires a much higher bar of evidence to believe it. But I want to say, no one lives like that. You don't, I don't. See, I wonder, when was the last time you checked what was in a bottle of water? Let's let's say you got a bottle of water. Here's one I prepared earlier. I didn't actually, I got it from someone else. This says it is a pure drop still of water. Triple filtered, New Zealand for my enjoyment. A little earlier, I poured one here, just into this little cuppy clear thing. No magic here. It's, 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 it's water, right? It looks like water. I've got another cup here of cuppy clear thing that just looks like water. The question is, how do I know that they're the same? Are they the same? 
I mean, when did you put your hand up the last time you checked that there was water in your water bottle? Show of hands. Sometimes we check if it's not mold and mildew with our kids' water bottles because there's all sorts of stuff in there. But I didn't check. I just trusted this, opened it, you know, had a drink. Like, hmm, I really hope that's water. I didn't have necessarily um, a large amount of evidence, but I put my life in my hands. Uh, Who wants to come up and drink this? Anyone? Why not? I'd suggest you don't because it's bleach. Now, when was the last time you checked your water bottle didn't have bleach in it? Every day we drink water, it comes out of the tap. How do you know someone didn't switch it? You know, that they turned on the bleach tap to your house rather than the water tap. We put our life in our hands of normal, ordinary evidence. Now, there is some difference. They do smell a little differently. But imagine if you had a blocked nose that day. (laughs) No, you see, we, we do trust things all the time based on what is normal evidence, reasonable evidence. The problem with the claim of Jesus isn't with the evidence. It's with the lack of trust in the evidence. People refuse to trust what is seen and clear. Now, I hope you don't go home today always testing the water every time. Maybe it could be a good thing. I don't know. But what we see in this next section of Mark's account of the life of Jesus is that we see Jesus bring something amazing, something that people do trust in and depend on. Again, another large, large crowd has gathered around Jesus. And it's helpful to note that all throughout Jesus' life, that's what we keep seeing. People flock to him. If you were there, people would have been running to him. They travel out to remote places. And Mark gives us a little clue here about where they are. Geography is key. He's in a region east of the Sea of Galilee, which is a non-Jewish region. Now, how do we know that if you don't know much of the history of Israel? Well, there's a few little tips. Earlier, we'd heard about Jesus casting out the demons into the pig farmers. Anyone know any Jewish pig farmers? Right, no, because they don't eat pig. So this is an area where there are no Jews in that area. You couldn't be a Jewish pig farmer. And here Jesus is. There's 4,000 people gathered around him for three days. For three days. Now, have you ever been to a concert? that you wished would go for three days long? I mean, sometimes there's great concerts you go to. Have you ever gone to a concert thinking you're going to be there for three days? You didn't really bring your tent. Uh, You just kind of rocked up and went and listened. I mean, who packed a change of clothes and an air mattress for church today for this sermon? Anyone? (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) No, we've got uni church. We'll have to end by then. But I was thinking maybe we could go for three days because... What we see here is that people flock to Jesus and they want to stay. Something about what he says. These people weren't prepared. They're happy to sit and listen for three days. When the three-day mark hits, Jesus is like, oh, I should get you some food. Like We've been out here a while. Right? They've been so captured by Jesus' teaching that they haven't eaten, uh, they haven't brought a packed lunch. And here's where we see two aspects of Jesus' character. We see his compassion his love for these people who've come to listen, and his power, his compassion and his power. Now, so often we've got this view of Jesus that says he's either compassionate or powerful. You can't be both. How can you be compassionate and not powerful? Either this compassionate, loving figure who helps people and he loves people, but he hasn't got the power to do anything and to save everyone and so he can't, or he's a a powerful, judgmental tyrant who's got the power to heal the world, but only chooses a few, and that he's not compassionate. But here, we see Jesus is both. 
He's amongst a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews, non-God-fearers. A bunch of people who want nothing to do with God, yet he provides them with their need. They're rejecting him actively. In Mark chapter 7, we read of a Gentile, a non-Jewish woman, who came to Jesus and begged him for crumbs. Now Mark shows in the next chapter, Jesus supplies 4,000 people with their need. Jesus brings satisfaction. He brings satisfaction. He doesn't just feed them. Look at verse 8. Mark 8, verse 8. They ate and were satisfied. Despite their past, despite their race, despite their current worldviews, which would have been anything but God-centered, the ones who come to Jesus and listen to him are satisfied. Hear that line. The ones who come to Jesus and listen to him are satisfied. They have their needs provided for in abundance. After starting with five loaves, there are seven basketfuls of bread left over. It never happens in our house. It's all gone. <laughs> but even more than that, Mark tells us that these people were liberated. He brings liberation. Look, look in verse 9, and Mark puts this little throwaway line in. And the way he said it, says it is, is a little bit odd. Verse 9, about 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat. Now, that little phrase, he dismissed them, means to he released them, or he, he liberated them, he freed them. That could just mean Jesus set them free and said, off you go, time to go, you know, set you free from a painful condition, or maybe listening to a long sermon, or, or kind of saying, yep, you're free to go now. But... I think there's more going on. These 4,000 Gentiles came and listened to Jesus for three days. They were so fixated on what he was saying, they just couldn't leave. Because what he was saying satisfied their needs. What he was saying set them free. Now, it feels like I'm building a lot off one word here, this satisfaction or liberation. But just before this section, again, in Mark 7.31, Mark told us about the healing of a deaf and mute man. And that was located in the Jewish countryside, he tells us, not in the Gentile areas. And people here were kind of most certainly Jews. One of the defining marks of a Jew was to know their scriptures. So when Jesus healed the deaf and the mute man, the Jewish bystanders will listen to what they say in verse 37 of Mark 7. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now we hear that and we're like, wow, it was an amazing miracle. The deaf hear, the mute speak. Like that, that, that kind of never happens. This is amazing. But there's more going on for these Jewish people. You see, there was a promise that God had given in Isaiah. If you look on a footnote of some of your Bibles, you'll see this little asterisk that says, look at Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. Have a listen to it. It's on the screen. Then, Isaiah says, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There's this promise that had been given to God's people that one would come and open the eyes of the blind and see the mute speak. The whole chapter of Isaiah 35 is talking about the liberation of God's people of how God will come and rescue his people, literally redeem them and liberate them. And here Jesus, just after doing this in Mark 7, goes out to the Gentile nations, the non-Jewish areas, and sees people liberated. Just listen to the end of Isaiah 35. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee 
Mark's showing us that what Jesus is doing is enacting out really a parable of what was promised in Isaiah. He's come to bring liberation. People sat and listened because they were free. Who is this man? See, if you listen to Jesus' words and you see his deeds, if you look at the evidence that's before us, you begin to get who Jesus is. God's promised king. Come to offer forgiveness, freedom, satisfaction, and everlasting life. When Mark tells us that Jesus releases the people or liberates them, directly after he's fulfilled this promise of the one who'd come and liberate God's people, he's showing us something here, giving us a true picture of Jesus as the one who shows compassion and brings liberation. Let me ask you today, have you seen Jesus like this. His compassion reaches to those who naturally want nothing to do with him. People like you and me. Whose every inclination is to live for ourselves and yet he came and died in our place. He speaks and gives us hope. Have you got the right picture of Jesus? His, his satisfaction is eternal. So much in this world that we run after, we chase and seek satisfaction in. But Jesus offers life that lasts forever. Forever. He offers freedom, forgiveness, restoration, relationship with God. How do you listen to Jesus? What would it take for you to be totally captivated by him? To say, yes, I'll, I'll put everything in his hands. I'll trust him without a doubt. But so often we find ourselves saying, if only, if only I saw this, if only there was another sign, if only I could just see him today, if only I could hear him speak. We require more evidence rather than trusting the evidence that exists and doing something with that. What would be enough to quench your doubts, to make you sit up and listen and, and have our lives depend on Jesus? Well, unlike the 4,000 Gentiles who were satisfied, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they want more. They're not satisfied. They come at him in verse 11 with the express purpose of disputing him, putting him on trial. It's like some sort of inquisition that's happening. Look at verse 11, Mark 8, verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. They want proof. A sign that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, as you read Mark's account, you kind of go, are you serious? <laughs> Have you not been watching Jesus? Have you not been seeing what's been, been going on? And even with this account, it's, it's feeding 4,000, just like he'd done with the 5,000 earlier. Like, what's going on, guys? Can you not see? So often... We think, if only God stepped into the world now and I saw him, then I'd believe 100%. That would be enough. Extraordinary evidence, that would be... Sorry, extraordinary claims, that would be enough for my extraordinary evidence. But even here, when Jesus did that, it wasn't enough. It reminds me of that scene from Bruce Almighty. That's a great movie, if you've seen it. It's a bit of, bit of fun. Uh, Bruce finds out that he's got these amazing powers. Uh, and there's a scene where he's driving along in a car. I've got a picture of it up here. Here he is, and he's not happy with his life. 
He's really frustrated at what's going on, and he's kind of speaking out to God, I want you to change things, God. I want you to give me a sign. And so he's calling out, give me a sign. And then the next thing that happens is he goes past a road sign that says, caution, ahead. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, give me a sign. And this truck pulls out in front of him, and it's got all these signs on it. Right? Comic genius. I love it. And saying, stop, wrong way, dead end, do not enter, do not keep going forward. You know what he says? Ah, what's this turkey doing? And then overtakes the sign truck. As he does it, crashes his car. Right? He's like, give me a sign, I want a sign. The reality is, we're a little bit like that. We always want more. The signs here and in the scriptures, sure, there were things that went on, but we don't trust them. And even if we were given some sort of miraculous sign today, even if you saw someone um, who was healed of, of their paralyzed, paralyzed legs, paralysis, that was the word, just didn't come out. Thanks for helping me, everyone who was saying it, but not out loud. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet who commanded something contrary to the law. When a prophet did that, say, say someone came and said, I'm a prophet of God, I'm going to say something's going to happen, and it's different to what God had said through the, the law. And they performed a miraculous sign they were still a false prophet, even if the miraculous sign was real. Have a look with me, Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. You've got to understand this. If a prophet or someone who has dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised to you comes about, but he says, let's follow other gods, which you've not known, and let's worship them, do not listen to that prophet's word or to that dreamer. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Even if you see the miracle, it doesn't guarantee what they are saying is true to us. When we desire some greater sign, give me some more evidence, prove to me, Jesus, more that you are who you say you are, it won't be enough. It's about our trust in what he has given us. Even in the Old Testament, it's got to line up with what God's word says. In Exodus, when the, the um, Israelites were, were leaving Egypt, God does these amazing wonders among them. Uh, a snake turns into a staff, plagues, water to blood. But if you remember, Pharaoh's magicians do many of the same signs. Just because you see something miraculous doesn't mean what the person says is actually true. doesn't mean it's from God. But even if it was from God, like the awesome signs that Israel saw leaving Egypt, the Red Sea parting, the flood in the desert, water from a rock, Israel's history shows it won't make a difference. Israel still didn't believe. They still didn't enter the promised land. They still did not trust God was powerful enough to beat the Canaanites. Like the scene from Bruce Almighty illustrates, you can give someone a hundred signs from God and they still won't believe. You can show a society all the evidence that the earth orbits the sun, but they'll still put that person on trial. Unless they are ready to listen, it falls on deaf ears and on blind eyes. But unlike Bruce Almighty, Jesus' reply to these Pharisees is, you won't get any signs. It's kind of unexpected in a way. What Jesus is saying is signs, miracles, never guarantee belief. Because belief in Jesus is relational. He's a real person who walked in real history. And we've got to think, how do I relate to this real person? Because belief and trust is relational. I mean, can you imagine going to your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé or, or, or spouse and saying, prove to me you love me. You've got to prove it. I'm not convinced. I want more evidence. Give me a sign. 
Maybe some of you do this. Some rings would be good. You know, some catalogs dropped out occasionally. I want more evidence that you love me. Now, there might be good reasons for doing that. There might not be. Imagine then you go, I really want to know if they love me. So you go and hire a private detective to work out that they love you and they care for you. How do you think that's going to go with the trust relationship? <laughs> the fact that you need to hire a private detective. And if they didn't find anything, you'll probably go, I need another one because they didn't find anything. And I'm sure there's something, right? Because deep down, you just don't trust that person. There might be a good reason. But as long as you keep an attitude of distrust, you'll never actually hear what they say. Unlike the 4,000 Gentiles, the Pharisees approach Jesus with an attitude of distrust. They don't want to listen to him. They just want to catch him out. They just say, is that us? When do we want to say, no, Jesus, you're wrong here. You haven't got this right. Or no, I don't want to give my life to you because I, I, I'm, I'm sure you can't rise from the dead. I'm sure you can't do these things. We say, give me a sign, but actually, even if you did, I wouldn't believe it. The request for a sign, Jesus is saying, is a sign of disbelief. The request for a sign itself shows they don't trust Jesus. It's a sign of disbelief. And as we find ourselves in times of doubt as Christians, and we certainly will, Jesus is saying, don't ask for a sign. Don't ask for a miraculous word. Don't use the excuse that God hasn't made himself clear enough. He's spoken in real history like a real person. We have to relate to him. What will you do with the fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then he laid his life down and God raised him from the dead. He was seen by so many. Now we need to listen to his voice. Like God said to the Israelites, keep his commands. Listen to God's voice. Listen to who Jesus says he is. Don't shut your eyes to the evidence, but come to him listening, trusting in who he is, in his compassion in his power, in his freedom. Apparently, uh, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century had someone come to him. Uh, and and this, this person came into the, the kind of gathering. It wasn't kind of running yet. He was up, Spurgeon was up the front. This person came down and said, Mr. Spurgeon, Mr. Spurgeon, I had a dream. And in this dream, an angel showed me a book. And in that book was, was filled full of all the names and I realized, as I saw these names, it was God's book of life for all those who would be in him and stand forever and who'd been saved. And as I stared at the open page, the angel showed me, I looked down and there was your name, Charles Spurgeon, right on the middle of the page. It's reported that Spurgeon looked him straight in the eyes and said, get away from me, Satan. Now I'm tempted to trust in your dream and the words of man rather than the word of God alone. Friends, do not trust miracles, angels, demons, but listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to his word. Look at what he did. Come to the word of God. That is where we can be sure. As the first century eyewitnesses recorded who Jesus is and what he had done, we see he is the one who comes with satisfaction and liberation. If Jesus has said anything to us over the last eight chapters of Mark, it's this. Listen to me. See, relationships aren't based on signs. They're based on hearing one another. They're based on, on words which evidence themselves in action. And if you're not willing to listen, all the actions and all the words are useless. Here, Jesus fulfills God's word. 
in Mark chapter, 30, Mark chapter 7, verse 37, as he liberates God's people, the deaf hear, the blind see. He shows us that he is completing God's promise in Isaiah 35. God is dependable. God will do what he says he will do. But for these Pharisees, the word of God is not enough. And they refuse to take him at his word. So unlike the 4,000 Gentiles who Jesus sends away liberated, freed, Jesus liberates himself from the Pharisees. He leaves them in their distrust. No sign, nothing will be given to you. If you're coming to me like that, too bad. And that's where we see the warning of this passage, the danger of disbelief. As Jesus and the disciples then head to the other side of the lake, away from those who disbelieve, Jesus warns those who are close to him, those who are listening, his disciples, to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, right? To watch out for them. Now, there's only one place in the whole New Testament Bible where yeast is seen positively, okay? It's usually this tiny little thing that affects the whole. Now, I love bread. Nothing wrong with bread. Nothing wrong with yeast. It makes the bread fluffy and nice. If you haven't gotten much yeast, it's kind of like a log or a brick and don't like eating those. Maybe you do. If you're gluten-free, I'm just sorry. Yeah. But in the resurrection, liberated. See, a small amount of disbelief, though, what Jesus is saying here is that a small amount of disbelief can cause you to miss the entire point of why he's come can work through the whole lot like yeast does in bread. The warning here is to be careful. It's dangerous. Make sure we take Jesus at his word and listen. The disciples are in the boat going, yeah, yeah, okay, got to listen to Jesus. Pharisees didn't. We're leaving them. Uh, those guys over there on the other side did. But the disciples, they just don't get it. They're like the yeast of the Pharisees. And it's, it's kind of like they, they ask each other, do, do, do we bring enough bread this time? And, and the, the words used is they discussed it amongst themselves. Now, again, this word discussed is used seven times in Mark, never positively. Each time it describes people trying to work out what something means apart from Jesus on their own. It, it epitomizes disbelief. They're like, hmm, what does he mean? Not this, not that. The disciples had just seen the feeding of 5,000. Now, again, another 4,000, and they're still worried on the boat ride across the, Galilee, uh, across the Sea of Galilee if they've got enough bread. Do you, have you not seen? This is like, he took a couple and then 4,000 and then 5,000 before that. Like, where have you been? What is going on with you? They're still worried if they've got enough bread. Now, here's another thing I love about the Bible. Um, it's part of the evidence that I think it's actually true. The only ones who knew what they said on the boat that day as they crossed across were Jesus and the disciples, Right? They only knew the stupidity of the disciples were the people who were there. But all the New Testament Gospels record how stupid they were. They passed it on. They didn't go, oh, we're going to hide that. I know if I was writing it, I didn't say that. Not after the 5,000 and the 4,000. I'm not going to put that in there. But they do. We get the warts and all account. They're not held up as amazing heroes. They're held up as idiots. They passed on how stupid they were. While the disciples are anxious about the lack of bread, Jesus is anxious about their lack of faith. Look what he says in verse 17. Aware of this, what they're talking about, Jesus said, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you, do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Oh, look at that, Isaiah. And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, 
How many basketfuls of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they said. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you collect? Seven. Don't you yet understand? And then Mark leaves it there. The disciples, they're totally unaware. They're still affected by disbelief. Disbelief, distrust is a deadly cancer. I'm not saying just throw out all evidence. I'm saying, no, look at the evidence and respond to it. Don't let that disbelief grow. They still did not believe. Even the disciples, they still did not get who he was. Now, if this isn't enough, that miracles don't guarantee belief, nothing will convince you of that. Because these guys have seen it all and they still don't get it. After all they've seen, after all the time they've been with Jesus, they still miss who he is. It just shows you how much we need God's Spirit to step into our lives and say, do you see him, Rowan? Oh, yes, thank you. Because on my own, we run. We also see that sometimes the scariest position to be in is the one where you look like you're in the middle. When you look like you're in the inner crowd. When you've grown up in church or been in church for a long time, it's easy to look like a Christian. We know what to say, we know the moves, we know how to talk. Everyone around you expects you to be a Christian. They assume you're a Christian. But it's possible to be at the very center of the followers of Jesus and miss who he is. It's very possible to be at the center of a great Bible teaching church and not trust Jesus. To assume you're a Christian. To be regular as clockwork coming along and still yet not let Jesus shape and change your life. You could even be a connect group leader. You could even be the pastor. You could have had all sorts of experiences, dreamed dreams, seen visions, experienced healing. But when push comes to shove, are you trusting Jesus? Is he your king? Is his word shaping the way you live? And are you saying, yes, I'll follow him? Are you experiencing the satisfaction he brings and the liberation he offers? Friends, if you want true liberation, true freedom, you need to come to Jesus and listen to him and let that change the way you live. Not seek signs, not seek extra stuff. But come and read his word. Let me ask you today, as I ask myself, are you with Jesus? Are your priorities and thoughts and actions, are they, are they defined by him? Are you hearing him, letting his word shape and mold you? I want to ask each one of us today, and they're questions that are worth writing down. How can I ensure Jesus is at the center of my life? How can I assure, ensure that Jesus is at the center of my life? How can I grow to understand him more? How can I grow in my understanding of who he is and what he's done? Right? And the third one, when and where are you tempted to require more of God than what he's given? When and where are you tempted to require more of God than what he's given? Friends, this morning we've just announced an announcement that a number of Generate courses that are coming up. Great opportunity for you to, to think more about who Jesus is and let that shape the way you live. To, to look at some of those and think, oh, could I make them? We've got connect groups across church where we've got opportunities to be real with one another and gather around the word and share our lives as we let God's word shape and mold us. We've got church. We can now gather again. Ooh, how great is that? But we can keep coming, keep gathering, keep sitting under God's word. 
We've got God's word in so many different ways, on our phones and books and Bibles and songs that we can listen to. I've really been enjoying going through Psalms in that Dwell app uh, that Ryan told us about a couple of weeks ago. It's been fantastic listening to the Psalms and letting them shape my life. It's helped me to recognize that God is God and I am not. To keep remembering that and I need to hear that over and over and over. But do hear the warning today. Proximity to God's people, being one of the crew, does not mean in and of itself that we're listening to Jesus. Proximity must grow to understanding and understanding to dependence, to trust. There was once a man who came face to face with God. He was a devoted and trusted friend, well respected amongst his peers of Jesus' followers. Eager for the cause of God's kingdom to go forward, he spent much of his time listening to Jesus' word. But he never really understood it himself. He thought proximity to God's people made him one of God's people. But in the end, his proximity just inoculated him to the meaning of Jesus' life. He looked to be a follower of Jesus, but in the end was living for someone else. His name was Judas, and he hung himself after betraying his saviour who would die for him. Just because we hang with Jesus' people doesn't mean we listen to Jesus. But listening to Jesus, understanding who he is, will captivate our hearts and minds. It will satisfy us and realize he's given us all that we need and will liberate us from sin and and give us that hope of life that does not end. As we see Jesus today, I want to encourage you, come to him. And remain in him. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that so often we just go on with life and don't think through who you are and what you've done. We let so many other things come in and, and we can at times just look like we're Christians or we can, we can make up evidences that we need that are far beyond really what you've given and are unnecessary. Please forgive us and help us to to come to Jesus, to understand him more and more, to drink deeply from your word so that we might be satisfied. Help us to see how amazing Jesus is as the one who brings satisfaction and liberation. And help us to trust Jesus with our lives, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.